Hey everybody, my name is Pat Ward and I'm so glad to be with you this week. I think we have some really important things to talk about and I'm looking forward to being reconnected with the Wesley Foundation again. Uh, a long time ago when I was in college, I um, was a part of the Wesley Foundation and it had a huge impact on my life. Um, things were different then. That was way before we had smartphones and it would be another decade before any of us would hear the word Instagram. But we had Hugh Griffith and we were all okay. Um, currently, I am a counselor. I work out of my closet in Oxford because of the pandemic, but I see people all over the state and I love working with people, many of them college students, as they try to make room for the micro gospel to come and offer them hope and healing in some new ways. And so I work with all types of people and um, just love what I get to see Jesus doing in lives through that. Uh, before that, I was the pastor of a church for 13 years, the Orchard in Oxford. So I learned a lot through that as well. Um, I was thinking about my time at the Wesley Foundation this week, especially because I was in school during September 11th, 2001. And I remember what a a scary and really unsteady time that was. We were, I was living on with some roommates in a house on Scale Street, and I just remember as those events unfolded, feeling like the world was changing. I mean, I, re I remember sleeping on my couch for a month with the TV on after that, just trying to make sense of everything. I was thinking back on those memories this week and realizing that in terms of 2020, compared to 2020, the world changed very little after that. Um, we have seen a tremendous upheaval and tremendous change and just some tremendous new frontiers being um, thrust upon us over the last few months. I hope that this message finds you hopeful. I hope it finds you healthy and I hope it finds you with open hearts because the truth is that in seasons like this that are unknown and in some ways unknowable, um, God does some of his best work. And so one of those lessons, hopefully, we're going to talk about tonight. And so let's get started. I know that over the last few weeks at Wesley, you've spent a lot of time dissecting the middle part of Romans chapter 8. That section of scripture starts out with this thesis statement from Paul, which says, With eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Now, it's a great promise. It's also something that's easy to pass by because sometimes when we, when we talk about freedom, we often think about the fact that freedom is just the absence of something. But in reality, as Paul is going to explain over this section, it is actually the presence of something else. It's not just the freedom from groaning, but it's actually the presence of Jesus in the lives of these early believers. And so he is going to explain over and over again what they can expect to find in him. But one thing that I'm interested in is not just what they can expect to find, but how they can expect to find it. You know, the promise, even in this verse 21, is that they will join God's children in glorious freedom. Creation will join. It's like a scavenger hunt. It's almost like a, a, a pin drop on a map. It says, this is where glorious freedom can be found, and this is how you get here. 
And um, there, there is an important reason for spending some time talking about the pathway to freedom. It's because being free and living free sometimes are two different things. Uh, if you've ever heard the story of Juneteenth, uh, you know that um, slaves had been freed for months before uh, a certain group of slaves understood that they were free. They were living in rural Texas, and it wasn't until Union soldiers came through that area and gave them the news uh, that, that freedom had come that they actually got to live free, not just be free on paper. And um, it was told that after the caravan of Union soldier, soldiers left that first town that celebrated on Juneteenth, on Juneteenth, then groups of freed slaves followed close behind them, going to the last few small towns that had yet to be told, so they could see the reaction of other slaves, so that they could join in the party, so that they could ask them to join the caravan. And soon it was like a traveling celebration of being free, being free, but also of feeling free as well. Um, I also heard a story last week, Melbourne, Australia has been hit really hard with the pandemic, has been on lockdown for 111 days. And I interviewed a shopkeeper who, when he heard about the news that the lockdown had been lifted, he um, pulled over in his car and wept by the side of the road because there was a difference between being free and actually being able to feel free. And that freedom felt so good. The freedom that Jesus offers feels good as well. I see it a lot in, in the lives of people that I work with as the sun kind of comes up over these dark nights. Um, but freedom is not just something to understand. It's something to experience. And not only do I think that Jesus came to give us freedom, but he came to lead us into that as well. Paul believed that too. Uh, we see that in one of the last verses in this section of scripture in verse 30 where he says having chosen them he called them to come to him having called them he gave them right standing with himself and having given them right standing he gave them his glory so so paul says that there was a these were the steps from where they were those people that they were following, these were the steps from where they were to where Jesus had them close to him in right standing with him, experiencing his glory. And so the pathway, as Paul lays it out, from being not free to being free looks a little bit like this. Being chosen, called, given something, and being in right standing with him. And I, I think that there's some really important ways to unpack these words, but I want to throw something else out there real quick, something that I have seen to be true. And I, I don't really like um, meta theories. I don't really like the theory of everything, but I am formulating one based on some of the work that I do and some of the ways that I see people's lives really be transformed by the gospel. Um, it's this idea that Jesus came to bring freedom, and he came to bring freedom in ways that, that we can't even understand or imagine sometimes. And he wanted people to know that from the very beginning. In fact, in Jesus' first sermon he ever preached in his own uh, hometown synagogue, he got the, the scrolls from Isaiah out, and he unrolled them, and he read them, he quoted them, and then he talked about how they, they were fulfilled in him. And this is what it says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then next, he says, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, that's probably a common verse. You've probably heard it before. I've heard it a hundred times in my life. 
And yet it was a few months ago that I really slowed down to try to understand what was being said there. So that didn't just pass by. And the, the more I looked at it, the more I, I looked at that highlighted part that said freedom for captives and release from darkness for prisoners. And I thought, Jesus is being, is he being kind of redundant there? Freedom for captives, freedom for prisoners. Isn't that the same thing? Um, but the more that I learned about it and the more that I looked at it, the more I realized those are not necessarily the same thing. There's a key difference. First, prisoners. Prisoners are people who were serving a term for something that they did. They broke a law. They didn't pay their taxes. They did something wrong. They got arrested and they were serving a term um, for the things that they had done, the, the crimes that they had committed that were wrong. Captives, on the other hand, although very common in that day, were different. Captives were people who were doing nothing minding their own business, trying to do life as they, they knew that it should be lived and an invading army or a Roman, you know, a Roman soldier or someone came through, took them into slavery, sold them into forced labor, kept them in a prison because of the potential uprising that they may cause. They were captives, prisoners and captives. Jesus mentions both of these groups and he also mentions that they both will experience freedom from him. Now, I believe Jesus meant that in a literal sense. The first Christians believed that, that, that it was meant in a literal sense. But I also see over and over again how Jesus meant that in a spiritual sense too. And this is what's important for us to remember today. Because I think that as we talk about groaning and all the places where we get ourselves in bondage and all the places where we get our lives kind of tied and bound up, we have to understand that most of those times, come because of prisonership or captivity. They come because of the choices that we make and the consequences that naturally follow that, the mistakes that we make, the errors, the sins we call we, we commit. And sometimes um, those places of groaning happen in us because of things that were done to us that were beyond our control. But here's the key. Here's the key to finding a lot of freedom in your life is I believe that most of the really difficult parts of our life are a mix of both of those things. And part of the reason that a lot of people don't experience freedom is because they don't experience freedom in both of those areas. And so it's really hard to let go of, of some of the really big struggles that we have in our life. Here's an example. Take, for instance, I, I talk to a lot of college students now that are really struggling with procrastination. I mean, it's really easy when your life is kind of lived through a two-dimensional screen to procrastinate. And in some ways, and I don't want to be overdramatic, but in some ways, um, College students are kind of captive right now. We can't we can't help the fact that a lot of Zoom classes are on Zoom, and uh, can't help the fact that um, uh, you know this pandemic has uh, a lot of officials worried about people being in the same place, or when they are out, they have to wear masks. Like, there's a lot of things that feel like captivity. In fact, Zoom itself even looks like a prison if you've ever thought about it. Everybody's kind of in their own little cell. Um, but there is some captivity to it. However, at the same time, when I talk to college students about procrastinating, I often learn things like they are binge watching um, Bob Ross artistic episodes, or they've decided they're going to best their Fortnite score until 3 a.m. in the morning, or they're doing other things to waste time. There's there's captivity in their struggle with procrastination, or the, and there's also prisonership there. That that YouTube thing that says you know play next in three seconds uh, often. Um, is too much for them to withstand. And so they're going back in and wasting a lot of time there. So there's a, there's a mix of both of those things there. Now, that's kind of, that's a relevant example, but it's kind of a silly example. 
Another example sometimes is that there are times when uh, people grow up in abusive or difficult home life, home situations. And even though it, they were in captivity, they did nothing to deserve that. Um, there, there have been wounds and scars that have lingered from that. And sometimes they take those wounds and those scars and they bring them into their relationships. They, they create unhealthy bonds with other people. They get attached to other people who are unhealthy. Um, sometimes that they, they struggle with relational coping skills, um, because of those wounds. But oftentimes there are choices that are made that, that are made by them out of those, you know, those places of woundedness. And so in order to really bring freedom into those situations and into those lives, we have to deal with the captivity and the wounds from that. And we also have to deal with Jesus's work in the choices that were made and the sins that were committed and the mistakes that were made um, out of those places of woundedness. You see how there's two different things there? Another example um, that I think is common, I do a lot of work with people who have decided that pornography for them has become too much of a struggle, that it's starting to impact their relationship with God, their relationship with their um, girlfriends or boyfriends, whatever, that, that, that it's time for them to do something about it and it's time for them to, to, to stop being beat up by it. Um, in many ways, when we think about that struggle, we only think about it as they are, they're prisoners because they have made bad choices, or they've done something dirty, or they've sought out something that's unspeakable or, or whatever. Um, we often only approach it as something that is um, from a standpoint of they're prisoners by it because of the choices they make. But the more that we understand the struggle that's there in a lot of people, we also see that there's some captivity there. There's something about their emotional coping skills that are tied in with that kind of disconnection and that kind of isolation. There's something that's reinforcing for them in pornography, which is not just about nudity, but it's also about intimacy without risk, which is a farce because you can't have intimacy without risk. But, but nonetheless, there is something about captivity that keeps them locked in there. And one of the most difficult parts of that struggle is just the shame cycle. I don't like myself because of what I do, but to get rid of that thought, I'm going to go back and do something else that will distract me from it. And so we see a lot of people that kind of get stuck in there, stuck in that Venn diagram in the cross between captive, captivity and prisonership. And so um, that is often the shape of many of the struggles in our life. In fact, you look at all kinds of addictions, you look at all sorts of relationship problems, and you'll see both of those things at play. Now, here's the good news. Good news is Jesus came to set us free in both of those areas of our life. And if we look closely at the gospel, we see the way to walk through, to walk out of both of those kinds of prison cells towards freedom. And uh, that's what I want to take a few minutes to talk about today. And hopefully you can discuss this with your Thrive group. So when we talk about prisoners, if, if we want to understand what it means to get to, to walk away from some of the mistakes that we have made, some of the ways that we ourselves have been locked up uh, as prisoners, the, one of the most important things that we can do is to go back through that list that we saw in Romans 8. What does it mean to be chosen, called, given, and in right standing as far as it, it, it is concerning being in prison in our own mistakes and the things that we did that we should have done in our life? The first thing is to understand that God has chosen us even in our mistakes. Uh, three chapters earlier in Romans 5, it tells us that while we were yet sinners, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He chose us before we could choose him. He did not choose us because we convinced him that we were better than ourselves. He chose us 
even though he saw us as we really were, even though he saw the mistakes that we made and the consequences that we created there. So we were chosen there. We we're also called. We see as Jesus brings healing and freedom to so many people throughout his ministry, um, we also see that he called them into something else. He called them away um, from the patterns that continued to trip them up and continued to keep them locked up. One of the biggest things that Jesus called people away from was shame, because shame is the enemy of the gospel. And so many people misunderstand shame. We think that shame is where we do something so dirty we can't ever be clean again. But shame is actually where our sense of um, inadequacy and our sense of identity get locked in together. Nowhere is that more true than the places where we fail or we come up short or we make mistakes or we sin or we're disobedient or we lie. All those things, that's where shame lives. And that is the number one place where Jesus wants to bring freedom. But we're called out of that. We have to be called out of the cycle of shame. And that's what that's what um, that's the first call that I think prisoners have to answer. The next thing is that we are given we're given forgiveness even in the midst of our struggles, but we have to receive it. And I think that's the trick for people is that we we not only have to understand that we're given forgiveness, we're given grace, but we have to receive it. One thing that I, I often encourage people to do who are trying to 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 feel forgiven, not just be forgiven, is I encourage them to to cut their hands when they're praying. And think about putting things into their hands that they need to be forgiven for. And when they feel like specifically their hand, their their cup has been full, then just in prayer, just kind of release that and say, God, I, I can't forgive myself. I need you to forgive me. And I need to I need to know how to live free. I need to know how to live forgiven. Because um, we can't fake that. And so we, we are given grace and given forgiveness. Um, and then the last thing is that we are in right standing, even as prisoners. Now, part of understanding that is understanding how progress is made, because many people think that when they want to make changes in their life, especially mistakes that they've made, they think progress looks like this, like it's just a straight line. Oh, I prayed the right prayer. I'm on the path. This is progress. And that's very rarely how progress looks in the life of a prisoner. It almost always looks like this. We have highs, we have lows, we succeed, we fail. Over time, we are trending upward. With God's help, we are trending upward. So that's what it means to begin to walk away from the places of being in prison. We, we look for forgiveness. We look for healing. We then look for the places and the people that God puts around us in our lives so that we can find a right standing with him, so that we can find uh, a new way to live free, not just be free. When it comes to captivity, um, there's also a, a pathway that looks very similar that goes through that list again, chosen, called, given, and right standing. Over and over again, Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he was very clear on the fact that he was, was choosing those who were in captivity, choosing those who were ostracized from the rest of the community because of something that they had done or even something that had been done to them. If you look at Matthew 8 and 9, and I'm, I'm, we're going to get your Thrive groups to do that for a little while this week, Matthew 8 and 9, over and over again, there were people who were in captivity that Jesus met there. They were chosen in that. He had a choice. The leper in Matthew 8 said, if you are willing, I know that you can help me. The Roman soldier said, Jesus, I know that all you have to do is say the word. You don't have to come to my house. You can just say it from here, phone it in, and my daughter will be healed. And so, you know, over and over again, people came to Jesus saying, if you cho choose to, you can heal me in my captivity. And Jesus does that. 
Next, they were called. And being called out of captivity isn't some passive thing, too. It's not like we just wait for rescue. But there are times when Jesus calls us to take steps towards it. Sometimes those steps may be going to talk to a counselor or talk to um, somebody that you trust who's in ministry around you. Sometimes it may be talking to a parent or a stable friend about what you are going through or what's happened to you. Sometimes those, uh, those, those callings uh, are even different. They, they mean that we have to do the hard work of putting up boundaries, breaking off some relationships, circling out some unhealthy people from our life, not going to places where, we, where we, we've been, we've been um, hurt or wounded anymore. And so sometimes that calling and the calling to go looks very different for us as we try to walk out of our captivities, the things that have been done to us. Finally, given um, we, we are not able to manufacture the kind of healing that we need. And so if we don't take our wounds to the source, to the one who actually can heal them, then we get ourselves in even more trouble. And I think that's one of the hardest things to see about captivity is that people in captivity often take those wounds in all the wrong places. They take them to their work and they say, can you heal me? And work just kind of uh, takes all their time and crushes them. They take it to their social network and they say, man, maybe maybe if it's not quality, maybe just the quantity of people I'm around can bring healing to me. Some people take their, their wounds to, to busyness or they take their wounds to, 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 to substances or they take their wounds into just newness, new relationships, new choices, new things, one after another. But if we don't take healing to the source and spend some time um, accepting what's been given to us, then it's very hard to find the kind of healing that we need. And so in your captivities, wherever you're thinking about, I mean, that, that Jesus wants to offer that kind of healing there as well and in the way that only he can. And so again, another one of those prayers is, is you know, holding, holding in your hand the things that are wounded, the things that you can't carry on your own. Putting them in there in prayer, and then when it's time to release them to him, being willing to open them up and say, these are the things that I would just make more of a mess of. Can you can you bring healing, and then can you show me the pathway to healing? And finally, there is, there is right standing when it comes to healing as well. That right standing often uh, looks like a, a, an awareness that says, I am not fully healed yet, but I want to be more healed today than I was yesterday. I want to step closer to it today than I did yesterday. I'm going to step closer to healthy thoughts than yesterday, healthy friendships than yesterday, healthy, you know, just normal healthy patterns, eating, sleeping, exercising, the things that, that God wired us to, to, to help lift a lot of our captivities internally. Um, I'm going to step towards those things today. And even though there, there still may be some things that um, are still broken in me, uh, I want to know that I'm on the pathway to healing. And so those are both two things, captivity and prisonership, that, that come together often to create the kind of struggles and the kind of groaning that we have in our life. I want to share that with you here at the end of Romans 8 during my time, because I think that if we can untangle those, we can deal with them both individually and we can find the real and deep, um, the real deep healing that Jesus offers us. There is no better picture of that in the scripture than in John 4. When Jesus meets the woman at the well, remember? I mean, this was a woman who had had a bad reputation. She was at the well in the middle of the day because she was a prisoner. She was a prisoner to the choices that she had made. Jesus even mentioned that to her. You have had five husbands and the man you live with now is not even your husband. You're a prisoner. 
But also, Jesus points out, you're a captive too. You're a captive to this baloney that Jews and Samaritans have been wrestling with for all these generations. All this pettiness, all this racism, all this ugliness, you have been caught up in it. And your view of the Messiah, your view of God is challenged by it. We see a few verses later, after her interaction with Jesus, that woman's life was changed, her testimony was changed, and her community was changed. It says in John 4, 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Listen to what she said. He told me everything I ever did. He told me the places I was in prison. He told me the places I was in captivity. And he met me there. And freedom overflowed there. Glorious freedom, as Paul says, overflowed there. My hope is that that's the same for you as well. There are some things that we talked about today over the last few minutes that I think are probably easy to share with your Thrive group as you discuss. And I hope that you do. I'm going to give you some questions in just a minute to that end. There are other things that may take a little bit more introspection and a little bit more time before they're ready to share. And I hope that if if that's the case, that there are things that are in your mind that you jot them down in the margins, in the sidelines, and uh, that you spend some time praying about those. Use that cupped hand prayer to pray for those things. And um, I, I'm just so thankful for the time to be able to share this and hope that um, you not just experience Jesus as um, a Savior, but also as the one who gives glorious freedom. Mm-hmm.